0: Let's go to work. As barbers, we cut hair and fade all day. This podcast goes beyond the barber's chair and is about the rest of our story. Positioning ourselves for success, avoiding costly mistakes, and continuing to grow and thrive as barbers for years to come. Join us as we look at the whole world of barbering and go beyond the barber's chair. Have you ever looked at the stores in the same spaces as the local Publix, Kroger, Fred Meyer or other large stores? There's often one of the high volume corporate companies like a Great Clips or a Sports Clips or something like that. Then we see a lot of us barbershops opening wherever we can, uh, wherever we can find a space here and just kind of hope that it works out. But what if you or I could open our shops where the big guys are, Jennifer Spidey is a commercial real estate broker and she helps small businesses do just that. She helps place us in the busiest and most desirable places. She has placed high-end retail retail stores. She's placed energy providers, restaurants, creative companies, and she also has an affinity towards uh, adaptive reuse, bringing life back into once vibrant communities. She goes through all the things that we need to be able to do be able to open these spaces, what the landlords are looking for, and how to be able to position ourselves to be able to place our barbershops into these great spaces. I'm going to get out of the way and go right to the interview. Jen, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate you cutting a little bit of time away for us here. An episode I've been trying to get together for quite a while, and it looks like all the pieces finally fell together to make this happen there.
1: Thanks for having me, Dave.
0: So, Jen, you are a commercial broker. Can you explain what that is to those of us who have no idea about all the differentiations?
1: Sure, I'm happy to. So being a commercial broker means that I only work on commercial properties. I do leasing, I do retail, warehouse, some um, office, even though there's not a whole lot of office right now, but there's a lot of opportunity in office. And I really am an expert on that process. The negotiations are a very large part of what I do. Unlike a residential broker or residential agent, I have to sell my client to the lease store before we even step in the door. I'm working with a very high-end client right now where I have to get pre-approval just for a tour. A tour would be like a showing. So it's it's a different animal. And I would never do residential. And I wouldn't expect a residential agent to do commercial. It's two different animals.
0: So if someone is looking to open a barbershop, they would be looking specifically for someone like you specifically. Yes. Okay. I guess I'm just going to kind of walk it from the beginning because I've been involved in a couple of commercial leases and I've seen some of those put together. But I guess starting off, Right. Here's Joe Barber. He wants to open a barber shop. Right. And of course the thing we all do is we get in the car and try to find out what's available. We got no idea what it is we're doing. <laughs>
1: yeah, don't do that. That's a waste of time.
0: <laughs> yeah. So what what how, what's the best way to talk to a commercial broker, say, hey, look, I want to open a barbershop. What what do we what do we need to do?
1: Well, commercial is all about relationships, just like any other business. And really that first initial meeting with the broker, they're going to ask you if you have an established business. If you have, how long have you been established? What's your address that you're at now? What you're looking for? And then we kind of go from there. Like, who is your target market? What demographics do you need? What traffic patterns? Do you want to be in a mall? Do you want to be freestanding? Uh, Do you want to be in the first floor of an office building, which is great for your line of work. So if the barber does not have a previous business, if the barber does not have an established location in their own company name, then we have to treat them a little different and we have to start at ground zero. And that means we need to make sure that that barber has an LLC or a corporation, however they want to incorporate, that they have business credit that they have a business checking account, that they have a business plan, including marketing, that we could share with potential leasors. We need to really dive into, are they going to lease out chairs or are they going to be an employer? Uh, and again, ask those questions. What are the demographics you're looking for? Do you deal with a more upscale clientele and you need to be in a A luxury building or are you okay being in a strip mall in a suburban area or you know what what exactly is your market and so before they come to us uh, a barber would come to a commercial realtor or broker if they want to impress them come with your credit your business plan your marketing plan your demographics that you're seeking area of town that you want the square footage and then it's important to work with an experienced broker because we're going to ask you questions like how many washing stations do you need I don't know if that's the proper term but you know every time you put in a wash station that's a plumbing line that gets very expensive so we want to make sure they're back-to-back instead of side-by-side. There are certain things that we can do to kind of mitigate costs. Do you need a bathroom in your space or can the bathroom be a shared bathroom in the hall in, in the case of an office building? So those are the kind of questions that we need before we even start making phone calls.
0: Okay. So ideally, in a perfect world, the barber would have all these things Put together before they come talk to you
1: correct
0: well let's talk about the imperfect world because a a lot of (laughs) times, right Yeah. so like a lot of a lot of barbers they say okay i'm gonna open a shop and i'm gonna go find a spot and it it sounds a lot like this some guy's got a space over here and he wants x number of dollars for it and they want to they want a lease of some sort and I don't know much about it, but I think I can make that happen if I got four or five guys running chairs or if I do this, do that, do this, do that. Yeah. I've known people who've opened shops like that, varying levels of success. So I guess if it's that guy who, seriously at ground zero, what would you tell them to do before opening the shop? I mean, is there something where you might look at the guy and say, hey, listen, you know, take, why don't you take six months, put this together for me and then come see me or a year or something like that? Or Well,
1: hopefully not a year or months. It just depends. And let me just start by saying that you should interview different brokers and go with the one that fits your personality and that you're going to enjoy working with the most. I really dive into the numbers and it's my goal that when I work with a client, they'll be coming back to me to expand their space or open their second location. And I will celebrate their wins like my wins. And I'm here for the long haul. If you see a for rent sign on a building and you contact the owner directly and they will, they're willing to take a chance on you and give you a lease, then at least make sure that it's your clientele, right? Make sure that it's the income level you're looking for. Make sure that enough people drive by your location to see your sign right because that's important you have enough walking traffic where they see your business make sure that the building is not falling in that's the problem when you just deal with somebody off the street let's say you don't know how well that ma- that building is managed you don't know what the lease terms are you don't know what you're responsible for and We have a thing in commercial called TI, Tenant Improvement Allowance. If you're walking off the street, you're not going to get any of that. So every bit of TI that I can negotiate into a contract is less money that that business owner needs to have to open their shop. That makes sense? If you have to put in a whole bunch of plumbing and fixtures and all that stuff and say you have to spend $100,000 to get your shop open, if I can go in or any commercial broker can go in and negotiate with a landlord to get some or all of that money back through TI, then that is more money that you could spend on, say, marketing your business or, mar- or going to hire your other people. So, you know, it. you get what you pay for. If you want to do it yourself, then best of luck. If you want to do it right, I would say hire a professional.
0: Makes sense. So the what you're talking about right there, the tenant improvement. Yes. That would go into things like build-out, for example. Yes. Okay, gotcha. That,
1: that, that is what it goes through. It goes to build out. And typically, a commercial lease will run you three, five, seven, ten years. And the longer the lease, the more TI a landlord can afford. Because they're not in the business to lose money either, correct? So they, they have to work their numbers and figure out, well, if you're going to be here for ten years, what can I afford to give you? If you're going to be here three years, what can I afford to give you? If you're there three years, you're going to get a lot less. Makes sense. Yeah.
0: I guess they want to see some commitment there too, huh?
1: Yeah. The skin in the game. Very important for gotcha. both parties.
0: Now, uh, what's the, what is the whole negotiation? Pro- I guess the better way to ask that would be, let's say we decide to negotiate on a property or, or on a space with a landlord. Mm-hmm. What, what does that look like? I guess maybe from... The barber standpoint and, and yours, can you shed some light on that?
1: Are you referring to a, a barber working directly with a landlord or the barber working through a broker?
0: Let's assume that's a barber working through a broker. Assu- assume okay. doing it to plan for success. You
1: know? Yeah, because I can't I can't mention the other one because I don't know. Okay. Well, we usually so this is the process. We work with the client to make sure that you look as good as you can possibly look. And then we go shop you around to sites that meet your criteria. And I like to make sure that I don't show my client any sites where I know they're going to be turned down. Because again, landlords can be very picky. They curate these sites. Think about a Pont City Market or think about Avalon or think about Linux or... Think about any of the big places you go to. Those stores are not there by accident. They're they're very curated for the client to or for the customer to come in, spend a lot of time. They, they know what kind of shops they're going to shop in. They know how much they want to spend. They know what kind of restaurants. And so they're highly curated. So say I have, can I mention brand names? Is that okay? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Okay, so say I have a supercut. Lennox isn't gonna go for a supercut, but now say I have a Dave's Cuts, right? And Dave's Cuts is a barber for gentlemen. They do shaves, they have shaving equipment there. They have these really nice stainless steel, antique looking razors. Um, There used to be a shave shop. I don't know if it's still there in Lennox, but you get the idea. Like Mm -hmm. this is a spa experience for men that's going to be much easier to sell to Simon properties for Linux. The super cuts isn't going to fly. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure that I kind of get pre-approval for all these tours and know that when my client comes in and tours a property, that if they want it, I can get it for them. And that takes time. So we do our marketing plan. We do our lookbook, We do our, whatever we need to do, our financials to, to look the best that we can look. And then I kind of, warm up the the landlord we go for a tour if the tour is a success and they say yes this is what we want we do a letter of intent and we do a proposal we send it on to the landlord that probably takes the most time because the land a lot of these properties the landlord is a board (laughs) and it has to go through many channels perhaps get marked up go back through down many channels get to me we discuss it you know and it's a negotiation process and then once we get all the negotiation figured out a a letter of intent or a proposal is non-binding so then we start working on the contract and the contract depending on who you're working with might have some lawyers involved might not just be a standard form it comes back to us and then we have a review period I always strongly suggest that if my clients can, they get these things reviewed by a lawyer because they were written by a lawyer, they should be reviewed by a lawyer. And then we kind of have the timeline for the build out, any TI that's involved, we have budgets. then we have to start interviewing for contractors. And if, if the development doesn't have a contractor in-house and then, you know, if all goes well, you get your CEO and you open your business and that can take six months. That can take nine months. Now there are some shortcuts. If you are a barber, try to get a second generation barber space. If you're a restaurant, try to get a second generation restaurant space. That's going to save you money and time because that use is already there. That plumbing is already there. That electrical is already there. So that's a great way to save money and cut down that length of time.
0: So, and by second generation, talking about somebody that was a barbershop before you came in.
1: Yes. But you do want to make sure you have a pretty good idea of why it wasn't successful in that location.
0: Good call. Yeah. Good call. Okay. Now, that does the same standard also fit for like your strip malls?
1: Yeah. You mean like the mom and pop strip mall kind of thing?
0: Yeah. So, I guess everyone's wants to have like the, the publics in there. Then I guess the ones that are just standard oh. strip malls. No, no, I, those I guess it's exactly a the kinds. same.
1: Those are are exactly the same because they're owned by big wreaths or they're owned by big corporations. They're not mom and pop. The only time you could really make it a shorter process is if you did go with one of those classy strip malls that's owned by, you know, mom and dad or whatever. But then you're not going to, like I said before, you're not going to know how the building is managed. You're not going to know if they have funds to fix something that really goes wrong Mm -hmm. uh, within, say, the roof or a tree goes through the roof or whatever or do they have the proper insurance so it's very i wouldn't say it's a bad choice it's just a riskier choice your you opportunity back, for ti is it's very low
0: let me let me repeat back what i understand you're saying from that okay. so that i, I want to make sure that i'm getting it and c- communicating it the right way here so with like strip malls and we've seen a you're, whole bunch of them we have some out. I'm sorry?
1: Properties that are anchored by like a Target or a Pets or a Publix or Kroger.
0: As in one class. Yeah. And then another class would be the ones that don't have those anchors. Might just be a, a collection of shops or something like that. Those are actually two different classes of strip mall. The ones with the big anchors, they're more likely going to have the funds to help with the, with the TI part of it.
1: Well, so those are called lifestyle centers. Okay. Yeah. And... I would go more on the age of the build out. You know, when you see a shopping center, whether it be a strip mall, lifestyle center, whatever, and the main tenants have left and they have turned it into, say, a Halloween store, big lots, whatever. Right. And you can tell that mainstream shops are going out and kind of more risky shops are going in mm-hmm those are owned by individuals at that point okay so if you graded shopping centers like you grade retail or office say a b and c with a being new and beautiful and shiny with whole foods or Publix or kroger and then in the middle maybe you know your ingles moves in your winn dixie whatever and then depending on where you are, I'm just specifically talking about the Atlanta area because you go up some places at North in North Carolina and Ingalls are darn nice stores. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of leave and you get the the more lower end, kind of the clearance center type stores. There are some businesses that do extremely well in those, in those lower C type stores.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Dave's Cuts wouldn't be one of them. Right. So you have to match... Your products with the center.
0: So, know your demographic, know where you're going into.
1: Yeah, and also know how much free advertising you want. Demographics are very useful because what they tell you is traffic count, how many people drive by every day. They tell you the ages of the people. So, is your product skewing to a younger person or is your product skewing to an older person? Mm-hmm they tell you how many people in that area are homeowners versus renters. So obviously if you're Home Depot, you wanna be somewhere where the majority of the people are homeowners or where you have a lot of new construction, you have contractors that need to come in and get bits and pieces of things. The demographics will have projections to show you if more people are moving into the area or people are leaving the area. All that's really important, and you should match those demographics to the product you are trying to sell. That
0: makes sense. Kind of like, if I were to use an illustration of a steak, yeah, the Outback Steakhouse and Ruth's Chris and then McKendrick's, you know, three completely different, there might be some overlaps, but there are three yeah. co- completely different spaces or three, three completely different types of steak, let me put it that way, each of them with their own crowd. And if you were to put a McKendrick's where you would normally put an Outback, it's not going to work. If you put an Outback where a Ruth's Chris should be, it's not going to work. But if you put the right shop in the right place, then it can work.
1: Yeah. They're all all a good product. Mm -hmm. They're all thriving businesses. They need to be where their client base is.
0: Right. That makes sense. Okay. Now, speaking of the different types of places which are available. So we, we've talked about your, the, I guess, the Class A retail space, your your Lenoxes, your Simon-type malls, your, um, I guess, your Avalon, just a really great spot. They have all, of, there's probably an Apple store involved somewhere, you know, all that.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: So you have those. Another one would be the places where you have like your Publix or your Kroger or whatever the major grocery stores are. Then you have a, a third type, which has like maybe the second tier of grocery stores, wherever it is in your area.
1: Or just older. It's just older. It needs more upkeep, Mm -hmm. needs to be refurbished. And maybe the owners don't care to refurbish it. They just want to juice it for all that's left. And uh, I have this great teacher, um, real estate teacher, who says you want to be the first or the second, but never the last Uh, owner in one of those. If you're the last owner, you're going to lose your pain.
0: Makes sense. Uh, I guess that brings me to the other class which I was looking for, which, uh, man, I don't want to say the slum landlord, because I, th- I think it's just a, a bad no. term to yeah, use. I just no. don't know what it is, right. but the the one where it's like, okay, we got spaces, who wants them? We'll, we'll put you in.
1: Yeah. And those just tend to be single investors. And there are some great single investors out there, but people that really don't have sophisticated systems in place to maintain the properties and maybe do just see it as income producing rather than being something that you need to invest in long-term.
0: Right. Makes sense. So I'm guessing from the, from the commercial broker standpoint, and okay. actually let me, let me ask this. is to me try to get my assumption on it. Of those four, the, those four t- different types of properties there, uh, and I'm guessing there's other types of properties as well. Of those four, are there any things where the commercial broker would, be a perfect fit for would not be a fit for
1: no no because i think even with the mom and pop stuff that we discussed earlier we can ask the correct questions and we can we can dig a little deeper and we can find out if they have a, a fund to maintain the roof and the parking lot we can get rent rolls we we still have a function where the average person is not going to go in and say hey can i have your rent rolls hey can i can i see your engineer plan and your maintenance plan for the next 20 years like that that's kind of stuff that we know to ask that the general barber may not know to ask and we can come back and tell you like this yeah they're solid they know what they're doing and i would take a chance or not now the other thing i will say is the way that um brokers are paid, there are more instances in commercial real estate where the tenant or the barber will need to pay the broker. And that's just the way it is. And I think that we need to change the narrative. We are providing an extremely valuable service. If the location is not correct, if the maintenance isn't there, if there's too much vacancy, there's all sorts of things that we can go in and kind of do, do due diligence and look at. And that saves a tremendous amount. If, if you start off and your business fails, like, that's bad, right? <laughs> so maybe spend a little on the front end, if you have to, we still try to, Get the the landlord to pay, but sometimes it's just not possible. I would just think of that money as money well spent, and it can be worked in, especially if again with purchasing a property, we ask the same kind of questions, and that can be worked into the purchase or it can be worked into the lease. I would just say, we are worth what we get paid.
0: Sure, and that actually touches on a point which I wanted to ask about earlier on, because for the sound of it, it seems like a real estate broker. Someone who's working in commercial properties can literally look and say, hey, you don't want to go into this place here. This place is a no-go because of this, 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 this. Yeah, the rent looks great, and yeah, you can afford it, but if you go in there, you're going to deal with these things here. Their electrical might not be what you got to do, and you're going to wind up having to rewire the place. They're, they're setting you up to have to replace an entire AC unit or whatever. Does yeah, that sound we're,
1: we're dealing specifically with retail. Mm -hmm. Um, and it depends too, if it's, you know, the kind of lease it it is, there are many different kinds of commercial leases, um, which we would know about as well. And we could guide you through, but yes, we are your consultants. Mm -hmm. We are not engineers. We're not electricians. We're not um, plumbers. What we do is, is commercial real estate, Mm -hmm. but you better believe we have all those people in our back pocket as well as a really good attorney. I don't play attorney. I don't play any of the other things I mentioned, but I have them in my arsenal
0: It's not. It's not who. It's not what you know. It's who you know, right?
1: Exactly. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) So yeah. So so renting a spot could be a a real challenge. It looks like as opposed to just saying, "Here's a spot." You know. Don't let it
1: get daunting. Don't let it get daunting, and especially now, it's a little harder than it used to be. But don't don't be discouraged because people are still opening businesses every day, and maybe a little extra due diligence now will save you in the future. So let's just do it. And I'm here to make the process easier and guide you through it and provide information and just, you know, ride the wave because it is to own your own business in this country is
0: completely worth it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a narrative among the the barber community now, which we're starting to hear a lot more. It looks like people starting to get sophisticated as opposed to just building a monthly income, actually trying to build wealth. And guys are talking about actually buying buildings instead of leasing a spot, just actually going there and buy the building. Yeah. I imagine there's some different requirements for that, but other than that, well what would the requirements be, I guess?
1: Okay, so with that, we we still need to look at all the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. We still need to look at those demographics. And we need to really get in at the bottom floor with a really great lender a local lender. I can't say this enough. The big ones, the big ones you see everywhere will not help a small business owner, right? They consider a small business owner if you make like 5 million a year or something. It's crazy. Probably more than that. You want to deal with your local home down. You can walk into the the branch and talk to Phil or Christina or whoever your person is, Lisa, and you can get personal attention. I can't stress that enough. don't when you when you go to open that business checking when you you know so that's the first thing right? Local. The other thing is ask them who their SBA pro is. SBA, the Small business Administration has all sorts of programs and they're always changing and they're always revolving but they have programs for real small business owners. And they, can, they charge a little extra, but they can be the difference between being able to buy a building, buy all the equipment that you need for the building and not. so. And I would say too, if you're a 1099 employee and you're working under somebody else, that's a perfect time to form your corporation, your LLC, whatever your accountant tells you to form. Start developing that business credit when you're still under somebody else. As long as you're a 1099 employee, It's and again, talk to your accountant. But so that's the difference is that when you decide you want to own your own building, which I think is amazing, go ahead and work with your commercial broker and talk to the local lenders that they deal with and talk to their SBA specialists and, you know, start the process right. Know where the money is going to come from. And then Dave, I think that brings us to my other favorite, favorite, favorite thing in Atlanta, which is adaptive reuse. So adaptive reuse just means that we're taking an existing building and changing the use to fit the highest and best that it can currently be. And a great example of that for people who are living in Atlanta is Otley. Otley in Atlanta used to be all industrial warehouses. Well, it's basically Morningside. <laughs> So it doesn't make much sense to have industrial warehouses there. So that's where Sweetwater is. Uh, Jean Kansas has converted a bunch of buildings into creative office space. And there are people that live over there now. And so it's taking these buildings where the use just doesn't make sense anymore and saving that history and saving that beautiful architecture and saving all those building materials that we cannot get now. Like there's no solid you know beautiful hardwood that's being put in new buildings now right Mm -hmm. so it's taking those and converting them to a modern use it's less trash in the landfill it's um, a better quality built building it's beautiful architecture it's history and you want to talk about a good investment and there are some uh, financial incentives tax incentives to do that. And if you're interested in that, I would check out the Georgia Trust for Historic Preservation. That's a great place to start. And they sometimes list buildings on their website that are for sale. School. Also, if you're in the Atlanta area, you know that for a while there, the schools were empty. So they converted them to loft space. They're talking now, and I think this is super exciting, about converting the empty office space in downtown Atlanta to condos where we have a serious uh, housing shortage. And most of those office buildings have really, really nice retail on the first floor. So, well, you probably couldn't buy a whole office building, but I would say you can buy an old warehouse. You can buy an, an old building that used to be a gas station, and now it's going to be a barber shop or a bar. There's all sorts of opportunities. And the more that we can work with what we have, I think the better off that we'll be.
0: So with this, you're talking about buildings which already exist. They've been around for a while. They're probably older buildings. Mm-hmm. And I I, I like the example you gave of the gas station that, hey, this might be getting ready to become a barbershop. If you buy the gas station, you got a barbershop there. And that would be a sweet shop. I'll tell you that right now. You know? Yeah. There's a lot of times where I said, hey, the weather feels really great. It'd be really nice to take the chair outside. Well, hey, roll the yeah. doors up. See what happens. You know, if you have the garages there and all that, that'd be great.
1: Or an old bungalow. An old bungalow that's in a downtown area and it just doesn't make sense for somebody to live on Main Street anymore. Mm-hmm. So you save the bungalow, turn that into a spa or a barber shop. Yeah, it's great. Oh,
0: wow. Well, okay. That's a whole other one. Now, I would like to go back to something you mentioned earlier on about the SBA person. And if I'm asking the wrong person, please let me know. Uh, I'll be happy to hunt down and <laughs> find the right person to talk to you about yeah. it. Uh... I've heard of SBA, but I don't know very much about it. What would, what would you tell someone who, well, if you were to explain SBA to a third grader, how would you describe it to them?
1: So the SBA is basically a, I'm trying to think of what to say. So the SBA is kind of a layer between you and the bank. And if I was going to oversimplify it, I would be, I would say it's like FHA. You know, when a first time home buyer goes to buy a house, they have FHA as an, as a kind of an insurance to the bank. Like, oh, go ahead and lend to this person and they have us behind them. That's oversimplification, but SBA is kind of like that, except a whole lot more. So I would start with the SBA workshops and you can get all that information from the SBA Atlanta website. So you just put in SBA. You can read about the Atlanta workshops. You can read about, and they're all online by the way. You can read about their small business grant program. They they'll actually match you with a entrepreneur that's retired. So you can talk to somebody that's been in your shoes. I mean, it's really an amazing tool that a small business owner has. Now, when you when you grow and you do your second one or third, you know, location, you probably won't need SBA. But for the first, just getting started, I can't think of a better organization. They're, they're one of the good guys. And there are some nonprofits that go in with SBA. And of course, but there are a couple nonprofits here in Atlanta that will partner with you as well and yeah. just be mentors to you. They don't necessarily have grant funds, but they have experienced people that will work with you and, and kind of walk your hand through the SBA process.
0: Jennifer, I'm going to be putting your information, your contact information, everything in the description here. But uh, if someone who is not in the Atlanta area or not in the state of Georgia or wherever they are, how would they go about finding a good commercial broker?
1: Well, we do. We all have a very elaborate referral network. So you can contact, if you know a commercial broker, in the area that you are in. And they can reach out. We also all have commercial boards. So your city or county or whatever is going to have a local commercial board. There are national like CBRE and there are national groups. I I can't say they're the best. They're not the worst. They're just what they are. Because every individual is going to work with someone. You know, I would just say call on the phone and interview and go with your gut you know, really find who works for you. If you have a residential real estate agent, they can research it for you. But really, I would say go through the, the local commercial board. You know, just do a, if you have to do a Google search, that's fine, but make sure you interview several people and just go with your gut. To be a broker, you have to have a certain level of education and continuing education and you have to, have experience and blah, 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 blah. So, go with your grads. They can reach out to me and I can find anybody in North America for them.
0: Okay, well, that's always a big help. Yeah. Now, is there anything, I don't talk to a, a commercial broker every single day, so there's probably things in your head which I have no idea about. Uh, is there anything that I, anything that I haven't mentioned that you think should be mentioned or talked about?
1: I would just say that there's no better time to start your business than today, right? Because yesterday's gone. And if you just procrastinate, it's never going to happen. We're here to help. Make sure you do your homework. Make sure you look good. Like you are selling yourself. Your your broker is going to be selling you to these buildings, the location. It's all about location, location, location in real estate, right? So mm-hmm. the location can either really, really help your business or really, really hurt your business. I do want to mention one thing. So it's really important if you decide not to use a broker that you understand or one understands that most buildings have additional fees attached to the rent. That's really important because people would be like, oh, this one's $16 a square foot and this one's $30 a square foot. So this is obviously the better deal. Well, maybe the $30 a square foot is full service. And the $16 a square foot is triple net, or maybe that doesn't include the central area maintenance, insurance, all this other stuff that they're going to tack on. So just make sure you're looking at apples to apples, oranges to oranges, because really the $16 a square foot that they're advertising could be more expensive than the $30 a square foot it's kind of smoke and mirror. there's not a lot of transparency there in the beginning
0: and if if someone has a side to go of their own is a commercial broker someone who would at least look at a contract for someone and say hey no. watch out for these things
1: no you need a good attorney to do that uh, again we don't play attorney mm-hmm. and i will just say if, if you try to go it alone there's some places you won't even be able to get in the door mm-hmm. and there are some places that will want to work with you more because they know That a professional is not right beside you i think that should be a red flag
0: yep okay
1: but everybody do you know what your gut tells you and what's right for you it
0: sounds to me like a commercial broker is the kind of person who can say hey look yeah you want to have this barbershop or you want to own own this building let me show you some of the places that are available instead of you trying to hunt them down and i can show you a lot of the good stuff here without you having to waste your time and bump your head not being able to go see some of these places Because you might might be surprised there's a lot of places which would be fantastic for you. You just don't know they exist.
1: Right. A lot of stuff is not listed. It doesn't have a big sign out front, especially with some of the bigger properties. Like if you go into an Avalon, you're normally not going to see a for lease sign on the window. Uh, Or Pont City Market, you're not going to see a for lease sign on the window. So the more desirable properties, you'll probably see less of that. Sometimes it's surprising though. I know a beautiful building in Midtown right now that has a sign. So the other thing is that we're going to have a conversation before you get there with our counterpart on the other side. And if they say to me, Jen, you know, we're not looking for a barbershop. You can look at it, but you'd be wasting your time. Then that's respectful of your time. That's respectful of the client's time. Yeah. We're not going to look at this spot because they're not going to take you no matter how wonderful you are, because They're curated spaces and you're not on their plan.
0: Makes sense. And you mentioned something about, well, what does a relationship with a commercial broker look like? People say it's all about the real, make sure you have a relationship with the commercial broker. What does that look like?
1: Well, I've learned, I've been doing this for a while. And one thing I've learned is that we need to do everything through the brokerage agreement. I wish it wasn't necessary, but it is. And so anytime you ask the broker to do work for you, free work until you have a deal that needs to be under a brokerage agreement. So you guys understand what gets paid by who, when, so that there's no hurt feelings or misunderstandings or anything in the future, because this is our job. And most of us, if you're on the buyer side or the tenant side, we don't make a dime until You move in and you're open for business, right? If we're lucky, we might get a little bit at the contract signing and then the rest when you open for business. So it could be a year before we make a dime. So if you're calling us every week for a year, that's valuable. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say is that what makes me absolutely love my job is my long-term relationship with my clients. When I get a call that my clients are ready to expand or they're ready to open second locations or they're ready to retire and find somebody to take, you know, whatever they've they've done and they want to go out to a tropical island somewhere. It makes me feel so successful and so happy because I know I played a part in that. So I love and I don't know any broker that would not say they don't want long term relationships with their clients. And I've even had clients that have morphed into other businesses, like they've stepped away from one business and they want to open another one and I get to help them with that. So we are people, we are by and large extroverts and we are people, people, and we love to see people succeed. On the other hand, speaking for myself, I'm all about numbers and statistics and demographics. And I put a lot of work in it. So you don't want to waste time. Like this is our job.
0: Totally understandable. All right. I guess, I guess the last thing I'd ask you, because I, I know we've been, we've been talking for you no, know, for a while here, about a good 30, 40 minutes on this, which is amazing. If you had a room full of barbers and you had a chance to pass on one or two pieces of wisdom from your experience, whether within your career or other careers even, what would you tell them? What would you tell us?
1: I would tell you start working on your business. If you're a 1099 employee, go ahead and make yourself whatever your accountant says. You should be an LLC, an S Corp, whatever. I'm an LLC. Uh, but whatever your accountant says, go ahead and open your credit card under your business. Go ahead and open your checking account under your business. Every business expense you have, you use that, you know, and you keep your books separate go ahead and do that because when you get to me and you're ready to open your own shop, you already have established credit. You already have an established history of running your business, right? I would also say, I know in my case, I like to do real estate. I don't like to work on websites. I don't like to play lawyer. I don't like to, you know, I don't even like to switch over new computers with new technology. I hate that stuff. So Realize that there are people out there that are not very expensive that will do all those things for you and make you look really good, so you can concentrate on being the best barber and having the best business persona that you can have.
0: Awesome. Well, sweet Jen, thank you very much for this. I I know that this has been a pretty hot topic with barbers, talking about you know opening shops and buying buildings and maybe even other real estate beyond that. So hopefully, if it's okay with you, if other questions come along, maybe I can have you on some time again because who knows where these where these conversations go to. That's fantastic stuff.
1: Absolutely. I'd love to do a case study. Maybe you could be my case study, Dave.
0: Yeah, there we go. Have some fun with <laughs> we see We happens take
1: you from, from one side to the other. And, and Imagine I, if yeah. you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is awesome. what we did. Yeah, I think that would be so much fun.
0: It's like, hey, Ma, look, we did a thing. Yeah, 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 we did a
1: thing.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Jen, and I look forward to speaking with you real soon again.
1: All right. Thanks for having me, Dave.
0: That's it for today's episode of Beyond the Barber's Chair. I put links for my guests and for anything we discuss in the description. I hope you got something great and that it helps you as a barber and in life. If you like the podcast, I hope that you will tell a friend about it and subscribe so that you don't miss any upcoming shows. I'll see you next time as we go beyond the barber's chair.